I call this reflection some basic thoughts on marriage. This is not anywhere near the complete picture of holy matrimony. It is just some basic reflections. That said, I would begin with something which would seem to be very remote from marriage, which is the first, some questions and answers that come in the Baltimore Catechism that I grew up with as a child and devoured, memorized, etc., for many years and keep going back to from time to time because of the wisdom that is there. Question 48 asks the question, what is man? The answer is man is a creature composed of body and soul and made to the image and likeness of God. Then it quotes Genesis, quote, and God created man in his own image. The next question, question 49, asks, is this likeness to God in the body or in the soul? Answer, fairly obvious, this likeness to God is chiefly in the soul. And that leads to question 50. How is the soul like God? And the answer, the soul is like God because it is a spirit having understanding and free will and is destined to live forever. In other words, the Baltimore Catechism connects human nature with the divine nature after whose image we have been created. As God is pure spirit, so are we. As God is understanding, so do we. As God is free will, so do we. Of course, everything in God is infinitely perfect and supreme, and everything in us is finite, imperfect, and only a faint reflection of God. With the development of personalist philosophy in the 20th century especially, as a useful tool in theology, many Catholic thinkers, eminently St. John Paul II, have gained, I believe, a deeper insight into the meaning of the revealed words from the book of Genesis that we have been created after the image and likeness of God. They have done this by connecting this created image to the inner being of God, that is, to the triune God, one in nature and three in person. To say that God is perfect in intellect and free will is absolutely correct. However, these words refer to his oneness of nature without any reference to the relation of persons in God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it is here that we find the deepest and most exact reflection of God and human beings. Of course, we cannot comprehend the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity, but we can gain some insights into this mystery, which in turn give us insights into who we are as human persons created the image like us of God, and ultimately, will give us insights into the profound meaning of holy matrimony. God is one, but not solitary. Solitary, He is a communion of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a trinity of divine persons who give themselves entirely to each other, who literally live in each other, and who enjoy absolute 
and eternal happiness together. And this triune God decided in his love for the human race to tell a story to us little by little over time. This is what we call revelation. God's unveiling of his intimate story to us, God's unveiling of his love for us, God's unveiling of his plan for us. Created after his image and likeness, we also are essentially relational persons who tend to live in communion with other human beings. Persons with persons. The human person is made for communion with others. The human person is made for communication with others. The human person is made to live in community with others. As the old saying goes from that great poem, no man is an island. If we look into the intimacy of the father-son relationship in the bosom of the Trinity, we discover two dynamic phenomena, knowing and loving. In God, these actions are simply one. But from my vantage point, they are distinct. There's a fundamental rule in theology that everything in God is one outside of the relationship of persons. But however, we distinguish justice from mercy, knowing from loving, etc. From my vantage point, they are distinct. And so we speak of, if we try to sort of speak, unravel a little bit of the mystery of father-son relationship, the father knows the son by begetting him simultaneously from all eternity. Begetting him, he loves him. It's a knowing loving and a loving knowing. It's all one act, but we speak of it as two because that's the only way we can comprehend it. We, we divide it a bit, but then we try to unite it by saying, well, it really is one. We do not fully comprehend. However, there is a wonderful reflection of that in human nature, as we will see later. The Son, in turn, as the only begotten of the Father, knows him and loves him, and their love for each other, Father, Son, Son, Father, is one of perfect, total self-giving. It is so intimate, a, a love, that in fact, it, the love itself is personified in the third person of the Holy Trinity, that which we call the Holy Spirit, who is in fact the breath, the sigh of love between Father and Son. The intimacy of Father and Son is so intimate that Jesus uses what can seem to be a very weak word to describe that intimacy. He uses the preposition in. If we read the Gospel of St. John carefully, <clears throat> in the upper room on Holy Thursday night, speaking to his apostle Philip, who asked Jesus to show them the Father, Show us the Father, he says, and that will be enough. Jesus responds by way of question. Have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? 
We need to keep these words in mind when we ponder the meaning of holy matrimony. For in the singular communion of persons, we perceive a unique parallel between us and God, and God is three persons. For in matrimony, man and woman are to be so joined together in mind, in heart, in body, and in soul, in total self-gift to each other, that they live in each other. The two become one, as it were, without losing their unique identity. They are fused together. And the very physical intimate embrace is a faint recall of the divine inness, if I may use that word. The love that flows back and forth from spouse to spouse is almost personified, as is the pneuma, the breath of the sigh of love, which is the Holy Spirit. And just as the Holy Spirit constantly fecundates the world with new spiritual offspring, so too marital love ordinarily, not always, but ordinarily, bursts forth into new life, a living extension of the spouses, total and unconditional self-gift to each other. As grand as this parallel is, it increases in grandeur once the second person of the Holy Trinity takes on a human nature and comes into human history as Jesus the Christ. This is especially revealed in St. Paul's words to the Christians at Ephesus, chapter 5. You know the quote, I'm sure, very well. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so that wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And then in that very text, chapter 5 of his letter to the Ephesians, he returns to Genesis chapter 2 and quotes, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then he concludes, This mystery is a profound one, and I am saying that in, in reference to Christ and the Church. This text has been greatly studied and controverted, over the centuries, I think perhaps too often from a superficial perspective, you might say sociological, rather than profoundly theological, missing the depth of the message, which is mysterious, namely that matrimony, especially marriage 
as a sacrament of the church is a profound mystery, replicating the union of Christ as head with his body, the church. St. Paul really hit the nail on the head to, to speak of the union of man and woman in marriage as a replication in miniature here and now of the very union of Christ with his church, head to body, bridegroom to bride, becoming one complete unity whereby Christ gives himself entirely to us, the members of his body. And we in turn, if we are consequential with our baptismal call and all the graces God give us, we are subject to him. And he sacrifices himself for us then, now, and always. Then meaning on his passion and death, and always now seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And in the life of the church, the sacramental life of the church, etc., etc., he's constantly giving himself to us unconditionally, motivated by one thing, love for each and every one of us, that love which is eternal, that love which wants to bring us also into his eternal embrace. It is a grace-filled union of man and woman, head and body, which symbolizes and affects in miniature, here and now, the very essence of the church as a union of bridegroom head and bride body. It is a mysterion, that's the word that Paul uses in the Greek text of his letter to the Ephesians, and the translation of Latin is sacramentum, sacrament. It is a mysterion, a sacramentum, one of the seven channels of grace flowing from the open side of Jesus on the cross. That mystical interpretation of the wound in the side of Christ pierced by the spear of the soldier has been used over and over again by the fathers of the church to express the, the very existence of the church herself flowing from the side of Christ and specifically of the seven sacraments, and even more specifically of the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of the Eucharist, the water and the blood. And therefore, it is also the source of holy matrimony. Here is the culminating moment of the life of Jesus. Here is where this tremendous lover pours himself out in this absolute sacrificial love for each and every one of us, all humanity it isn't just those who form part of his body by, by explicit faith and baptism, but all those who are oriented to that, all those who are called to that, and every single human being is called to that. This, it's a reality within each human being, a potentiality waiting to be actualized by the grace of God and, and the individual's cooperation and other people very often mediating that grace and mediating that response as a friend or companion, what have you. But it is, everyone is called to this. The body of Christ is universal. The Catholic Church is that, catholica, universal. It is an amazing gift, referring now specifically to holy matrimony, the image of Christ's head, bridegroom, church, body, bride, 
paralleled and replicated in holy matrimony, man, woman, husband, wife, spouse, spouse. It is an amazing gift, <clears throat> and it is a grave responsibility for a man and a woman joined in holy matrimony and called to die to each, each one of their own self out of love, called to render total unconditional love for each other, a generous and sacrificial love that overflows into the gift of new life in their offspring, if God so ordains that. This, in essence, is what the fathers of the church understood by holy matrimony, and it is the backbone of what the church has taught for 2,000 years, with different expressions, different emphases, as needed in every age and culture. It is not what the secular world understands by marriage, and it would be disastrous for us Catholics to descend to the level of their confusion surrounding to the zeitgeist of the debased and perverse culture of this moment of human history.